Welcome to the Elk Talk Podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson. Presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk building, it's like 120 yards away, what do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk being 120 yards away to call anybody <laughs> on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes. But if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a, a big group. We record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. <laughs> Did we hit the record I button? I forgot to hit the record <laughs> button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't the podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts wow. where they might learn something? <laughs> The Elk Talk Podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. And the podcast is also brought to you by OnX Maps. And with OnX Maps, you can know where you stand with the most accurate hunting GPS tech on the market with land ownership maps that work offline. Go to onxmaps.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 20% when you sign up for an app membership at onxmaps.com. The podcast is also brought to you by Gerber. Uh, go to gerbergear.com and learn about the knives, the vital, the big game vital, the Gator Premium, all the things that we use when we're out in the woods and not just knives, but also some really cool multi-tools that they have. We're also proud to partner with Sitka Gear. And if you go to sitkagear.com, you'll see their full line of clothing. And their tagline is turning clothing into gear. And they are doing that through advanced technology that allows you to stay in the field longer, hunt harder, and stay safer. The Elk Talk podcast is also brought to you by GoHunt.com. Uh, go to GoHunt.com and sign up for the Insider. Um, the, the insider is changing how haunts and hunting information are found. No doubt about that. Use promo code ELKTALK, and when you do, when you sign up for the insider, you're going to get $50 of store credit, mad money, in their gear shop. And we are also brought to you by Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. And Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls is the original designer and inventor of the pallet plate diaphragm that's completely changed the way elk calls are made and used. And to find out more and to order your elk calls, go to RockyMountainHuntingCalls.com or BuglingBull.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 15% on all of your elk calls and elk call accessories. Well, Corey, I know people are probably wondering why we're spending so much time on the podcast right now talking about application deadlines, but it goes back to that podcast. We said that if you don't have a tag, you're not going elk hunting. Yep. Most important first step of elk hunting is acquiring that tag. Yeah. And the, the states have them all stacked up in the winter and springtime here. So, uh, I guess next on our list is my home state of Montana. And since I don't apply there as a non-resident, <laughs> uh, 
You're not as familiar with the non-resident draw. I know that seems weird. I, I have friends who apply and, and you apply and I just, it's a complicated system in Montana and I, I wish it was different, Yep, but it's not. And it's gotten easier with online and a, you can kind of step through it a little easier, but understanding the difference between the general license yeah. that is a draw for non-residents and the draw hunts, the controlled hunts, which are completely separate and a completely separate application, yeah, it definitely gets confusing. Yeah, I, I've asked Montana's licensing people, why do we do it this way? And they said, well, we've never completely started from finish. So it's like the old <laughs> house you bought and you just keep remodeling or adding on and you remodel this room in 1960 and then you add on this little balcony in 1975 and then you remodel the dining room in 1984. It looks messed up and it is messed up. Yep. And then you pull the vinyl flooring up and realize there's natural hardwood underneath <laughs> it. That... Yeah, Montana just needs a complete... Montana's draw system, in my mind, needs a fire. Complete overhaul. Start over. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's terrible for me to say that, but uh, our deadline for deer and elk is always March 15th. Uh, the good news about Montana is you find out usually by April 15th to 20th. And you brought up the really important part that we should just start with for people to understand. In Montana, we have, well, I think it's 160 or 165 total elk units. 130 of those, I believe, are, the gen are just general units. So the limited entry hunts, we're only talking 30 or 35 yeah. units where you're applying for a limited entry hunt. So there's the first hurdle that you have to clear in Montana is you have to acquire a general elk tag. General elk license, they okay. call it. All and right. that's, right. it gets license. confusing when you talk about licenses tags and tags. Some and states permits. require a hunting license and an elk right. tag. Some states you acquire the license and that's good for your license and your elk. And yeah. so Montana requires the elk license. Right. So non-residents, so residents, we get to just go buy it over the counter. Yep. And that's our general elk license. Resident or non-residents, you have to apply to acquire that. And statutorily, Montana is required to issue 17,000 non-resident elk or elk deer combo licenses. Yep. So there's two types of licenses you can apply for, just the elk only or the elk and deer combination version of it, which gives you your elk tag and your deer tag. Um, and then once you've acquired this elk license, then at the same time that you're doing the application, you say, if I'm successful in acquiring a non-resident elk license, put me in for whatever limited, limited entry hunt. hunt. Right, whatever limited entry hunt I might want to apply for. Yep. So, and, and then we've got the quirkiness of your non-resident elk license 
you get preference points towards that. But the limited entry tags you might apply for, you build bonus points. And they're separate points, and you have to apply for right. each point separately in that application process. Yeah. So <laughs> if we haven't confused people <laughs> Completely at this lost point, you. <laughs> I tell people, if, you, if you're a non-resident and you plan on coming to Montana, as, a, as kind of just your basic idea, plan on coming to hunt the general units. Yeah. Because Montana limits you to 10% of the tags as a non-resident. So On the limited entry side. On the, yeah. Yep. yeah. yeah Thanks. It gets so confusing. Yeah. And, and the only reason... I am probably somewhat versed on it is I have applied and now I'm building points for the limited entry. So the bonus point side, and I can't let those go. Right. Fortunately, they changed it this year. So you don't have to have the general license to apply for those bonus points. You can actually just purchase those bonus points. And that definitely clears things up. But just understand yeah. if you're applying for Montana, you have to apply first for your license, your elk license. By March 15th. And that can be either an elk license or an elk deer combo license. Either one will allow you to hunt elk in the state of Montana if you draw that. Yep. And I think it's about 80 to 85% draw success the last year or two. Yep. Used to be there were leftovers and I could count right. on Montana as my over-the-counter option if I wanted because I could just pick up a license before season and go. Yep. That hasn't been the case the last couple of years. So you have to apply if you want to hunt Montana and apply for that elk license. During that process of applying for the elk license, you can say, if I don't draw the elk license, I want a preference point, which gives you an advantage next year and probably guarantees next year that you will draw the elk license. Yep. You can also choose not to get that preference point. Yep. Then the next step is... Do you want to apply for a limited entry hunt if you are successful in drawing the elk license this year? Yep. So you draw the elk license, you can now go and hunt the general units, but you can't hunt a limited entry unit unless you apply for it and draw that. Yep. So in the same application, you can choose to apply for the limited entry hunt. You apply for a specific unit and a specific hunt. Yep. And then it'll ask you if you're unsuccessful in drawing your limited entry hunt, would you like a bonus point? So that next year you have a better chance of drawing that limited entry hunt if you draw your general tag next year. And it just gets, it's very confusing. You just understand there's two separate hunts. If you just want to hunt elk in Montana, just apply for the general license, get a preference point if you're not successful and forget the rest of it. That's, that's the easier way. But that's, still people are going to say, but I want to hunt the Missouri breaks. Yeah. I want to hunt the elk horns. Or I want to hunt Southeast Montana where the world record archery elk got taken in 2016 or whatever yep. it is. Well, we were in New Mexico. Yeah. And I remember you saying right there on the mountain, oh gosh, oh, a lot more people are going to be applying for Montana next year. That's right. We were on that hunt when I got that text saying, yep. keep this under your hat, but look at this. Look at this. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Wow, uh, that so that that generates a lot of interest in people wanting to hunt these limited entry yeah. areas. So, uh, because you're limited as a non-resident to ten percent, your odds are are pretty slim. Uh, and if you draw, it's because some people, I, I'm continually amazed at how some people 
want to apply for these limited entry permits and what they're willing to pay for that. I'm looking at what the refund percentages are here. So you apply, and what is it, $868? or I'm For the combo, I think. It's, yeah, okay. Yeah. It's, it's an expensive tag. So you apply, and if you say, oh, I didn't draw in the these limited entry permits, I want my money back, they'll give you 80% of that money back. Is it still that way? Yeah, by August 1st. Okay. So if you request a refund after August 1st, you only get 50% of that money back. So that's a really expensive bonus point yep. to acquire. You're giving up 20% of whatever that tag fee is if you just right away give it back um, or 50% if you get way down the road and give it back. Um, The benefits of Montana are that there are 30 million acres of public land. So there's a lot of places to hunt. I always tell people that our archery season is by far our best season date for the public land hunter. And the reason is if you look at Montana from a topography, geography standpoint, most of our high country is public and our low valleys are private. And where are the elk in September? They're mostly up in the high country. Yep. So I tell people, if you want to have a chance at some of those big bulls Montana can be known for, go and hunt archery season because they're going to be accessible to you. Yep. By the time weather and hunting pressure come in October and November, a lot of times they're moved down to the private. And you'll see them but you just kind of got a wave as you go by because there's these no trespassing signs. Or in Montana, the equip, you don't have to have a no trespassing sign. Fainting, painting a tree or a fence post with blaze orange paint is the equivalent in Montana of a no trespassing. Yeah. And uh, it used to be the same here in Idaho. <clears throat> you know, 144 square inches of orange paint or a no trespassing sign every 660 feet and at all reasonable accessible areas had to be marked right. or an agricultural field, a, a active cultivated ag field okay. was, didn't have to be marked. Just this past year, Idaho changed the laws so that you don't have to, the, the responsibilities on the hunter to know where private and public land is. Yeah. And it's, it was a big mess here because you have private landowners who want, who don't want to have to go out and fence and mark their property. Yeah. And you have hunters who, feel it should be if you want to keep me off your land you need to put yeah. in the work to do it and huh. it, it just highlights i guess the re- the importance of having something like on x to be able to know exactly <laughs> where you are because yeah. it doesn't have to be clearly marked right in montana i think it was 20 some years ago that law changed where it became the responsibility of the hunter to know and and so i've kind of evolved of okay i've got my smartphone app on my uh on x yeah well there was an open house meeting and i wasn't there but uh someone who was there told me and i trust this person that someone got up and said you know i hate this on x system now everybody knows exactly where these isolated public land parcels are well yeah but hopefully there's a whole lot less of confusion of accidental trespass and yeah. all this other stuff. So I suspect it was probably someone who had 
a piece of land or family ranch or whatever, maybe who always kind of had that to themselves. But uh, drawing a tag in Montana, if you're going to do it, it's expensive. You got to front all the money, I believe, don't you? Yep. Um, And if you draw, they're going to keep that money. And your odds of being in on the, the limited entry hunts are pretty slim. Yep. But the good news is if you are an archery hunter and you get after it and you go to the the places a little bit away from the pressure, there's some there's some pretty darn good yep. elk hunting in Montana with a bow. And the thing that, that got me the first year I applied, it's been four or five years ago, I think I have four or five points now uh, for limited entry. Mm-hmm. I had to purchase or had to apply for and successfully draw the general elk license. Right. And once I did that, I could then apply for limited entry. Yeah. And if I wanted a bonus point, I had to have the license. Right. And I could get a 20 or 80% refund on it. So it's costing me $160 just to get a bonus point in Montana. Yeah. And just last year they changed that. So now you can actually apply, I think it's July through September. Yep. And you can purchase those preference and bonus points yep. without applying for a license. So if you know next year I want to be guaranteed to hunt with a general elk license over the counter general unit hunts yeah. in Montana, you can go and buy a preference point this year and next year you'll be at the top of the list guaranteed to draw that right. and not have to apply this year and, and put up that money. Yeah. Was there some limited entry elk hunt you had that was high on your list that you were acquiring those points for? No, you had told me to just start acquiring points because you had a secret spot you were going to take me. Really? Yeah. I'm not aware of that. I just, I <laughs> I remember the conversation. I don't know where it was because you were keeping it very top secret. But... <laughs> did it require a helicopter? <laughs> it did require a helicopter. Oh, okay. Well, we can go do that if you want to. You've got enough points, you'd probably draw. Yeah. I've got three points. I know I'd draw. But where I used to fly that helicopter and the the landowner uh, went and built this ridiculously tall fence on his property, which is fine. I mean, he did not completely uh, when that whole fiasco struck. I walked it with my GPS. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a second here. This is off. Uh, And so I sent all that information to the BLM. And they forced that landowner to get his fence off the BLM. Uh, but it has definitely impacted the quality of the elk hunting there. Yeah. Uh, it's unfortunate. Uh, used to be a, a great opportunity. And people think it costs $10,000 to fly a helicopter. Mm-mm. You know, if you do it right and you do the right shuttling, um, it's about, I mean, it's still expensive. It's about... I think with three of us, it was averaging us, if I split that total cost out, about 700 bucks a guy. And it depends on how many elk you did or didn't have to shuttle out. shuttle out of there. Yeah. So I brought David Brinker with, with his recurve that assured that we weren't going to have any elk to, <laughs> <laughs> to shuttle out of there. <laughs> Sorry, David. Well, at least you didn't bring him with his compound and ensure yeah. that you're going to have to shuttle him out in an emergency situation. That's, and... that's true. <laughs> so, uh, poor David. He gets picked on a lot. He does. <clears throat> but no, that, that unit there, um, 
I've drawn it three times for rifle and twice for archery. Uh, so we've flown in there five times. There's, if you're serious about wanting to do a helicopter thing, I've got a list of properties in Montana we can fly helicopters into. I'm sure the audience is like, give me a break. <laughs> you guys are hunting out of helicopters? <clears throat> but, See, and I just envisioned us like in a basket under the helicopter with our bows and oh, hunting really? them from the helicopter. Yeah, I think there's rules against that. Yeah, yeah. probably. You're, Anytime you start talking about something really fun, there's probably a rule against it. <laughs> I mean, you can go do that, Corey, but you'd probably end up with that group of guys who are residents in multiple states yeah. or who don't worry about drawn permits <laughs> they just hunt anyhow uh, i don't think that would be good for the longevity of your no. your hunting profile um but, no and there i think there are other opportunities yeah. uh, in that unit even without the helicopter mm -hmm. yeah there's uh there's a lot of areas in montana there's uh, this what's what's it called it's the 900-20 uh, i believe i can't believe you just said that well, public. It, well, it covers so many. It covers, <laughs> I think, 23 units that if you draw, uh, there's a lot of places you can go as non-residents. We were guaranteed it on our first choice, I believe. Yep. Uh, or awful close. Uh, non-residents, it's a bonus point. You you wouldn't be guaranteed it. Uh, and so I guess I should say that you wouldn't be guaranteed it. As a, with four as or five rest. points, you have a really good chance really, of drawing really it. like 90% chance so uh if you look at a map those are mostly in central and eastern montana um the elk quality is super high there the downside you're dealing with is access yep um a lot of those ranches uh don't allow any hunting uh, some of them are outfitted and so they're they allow hunting uh only to clients obviously and so you're hunting a lot of these public parcels that are adjacent to or around a lot of private, you better be handy with your GPS. Yeah. It's just a requirement. And that's one of the things if if I think that Onyx has been a game changer, and I do, uh, but places like Central and Eastern Montana is where it's just become... Essential. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> and in Montana, I think it's probably worth pointing out you can't corner jump. Right. No corner crossing. So you can, you know, if, there, if there's two private parcels that are in between two public parcels right. and they form that corner there, you right. can't step from public land to public land. Yeah. And I, I try to tell people, if you want to envision it, think about a checkerboard. You got the black squares and the red squares. And say the black squares are public and you're trying to stay on public it's kind of like stepping across where on a checkerboard those corners meet. Yep. Uh, in Montana, you can't do that. Um, so, so access, if you, you're, you're literally landlocked, you, you know, can reach across and put your finger on public land, but you can't step across there legally yeah. to get to it. And so when you have those checkerboard areas, it, it changes the game. It's not just a simple matter of navigating through all of these checker spots. Yeah, You've got to... You've got to back out, go clear around, and access it from another direction if possible. Yeah. There's a bunch of other places that people tell me there's too much hunting pressure and elk don't respond to calling. Really? That, that, that kind of sounds like a challenge to you. That's yeah, probably just because people are out there calling too much and the elk are educated and call shy now. Yeah. And, but does that mean Let's that go there. <laughs> That's what I was waiting for. Let's go. Uh, all right. I, no, I have not hunted up in some of those areas for archery for 
six or seven years. Uh, just not because I don't want to, just because of calendars. Um, so those are, those are, there's some nice elk in those places. And the reason that they're in such demand is they're big chunks of public. So yeah. you don't have to deal with nearly the amount of private problems. Uh, and those areas are, you know, it's not a secret. Those are areas north and south of the Missouri River. Uh, people call them the breaks. Uh, yeah. And then there's some other limited entry units uh, in central Montana around Lewistown. Uh, there's some, there are some other limited entry units kind of scattered and spread throughout the state. But I tell people, you know, the 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 quality of elk on those properties or those those public lands are not even as good as they are in a lot of other general units. Yeah. So don't even. And I've bother. hunted the general units twice in Montana, and it's it's a tough hunt. Yeah. It's a public land over the counter type hunt that I mean, there's seventeen thousand non resident elk licenses issued <laughs> in addition to all the residents who can go to the Walmart and buy the tag. Yeah. So you're hunting, you know, hunting pressure. Fortunately, Montana has enough elk country and habitat that you can still get away from people and, and not have that sea of other hunters. But you're yeah. typically going to be seeing somebody at a trailhead or somebody oh, camped nearby you and for sure hunting elk that get a lot of pressure throughout the year. Yeah, I'm just looking at this map here of... And I, I tell people when you see the map issued by Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks about elk objectives, understand that the Montana Elk Management Plan, I think, was written in 2003. And it, so the, the biologists came up with their numbers. And by the time the politicians got done with it, these objectives I really don't have anything to do with carrying capacity yeah. or herd size or health or anything. So when you see these ones that say, oh, they're way over objective, know that those objectives were set really low. So uh, so if they're under objective, you might want to avoid that area. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, it's a, if it's under objective, that means there's already a really low number that the objective was set at. So if it's below that... If it's in one of these yellow areas that say yeah. below objective, like a lot of these ones up in northwest Montana, get out of Dodge. Yeah. I, I don't know how... I mean, every year people kill some nice bulls up in northwest Montana. They got to be the most unbelievable elk hunters or the luckiest <laughs> elk hunters in the world to consistently do that. It's, it's tough. You'll see here in central Montana, that's where most of the over-objective stuff is. Yeah. And then you got the green stuff that is within objective. And they don't set objectives as a number. They set them as a range. And that's why it says within yeah. objective. Um, you can see where we hunted down here. Uh, it's white. <coughs> uh, and the white stuff says, uh, you know. Not, not applicable. Uh, yeah. There's, there <laughs> no, is stated no stated objective. objectives. So yeah. I think they just say, you know, those elk there, those are going to feed grizzly bears. We're going to use those to not feed. Hopefully the grizzly bears will be full and they won't eat humans then. Yeah. Uh, and then you look at the statewide the elk harvest and you see some of these big blips that go on. Uh, a big part of this is weather related because of, here's the other good part about Montana is you get six weeks of archery. All you got to do is buy your archery 
validation thing for residents it's i think it's five bucks yeah i don't know what it is for non-residents and uh then there's five weeks of rifle so if you're flexible in your calendar and it allows it, <laughs> you can spend a lot of time chasing elk in Montana. That general elk license would allow you potentially to hunt for 11 weeks. 11 weeks, yeah. Six of it archery, five of it rifle. That's insane. And so when you see these big blips, and we're looking at the Go Hunt Insider here, uh, as I'm showing this to Corey, uh, the, a lot of this is weather related. Yeah. When you see a big blip, it means, oh yeah, we had a really tough winter and it pushed the elk down low and we just smacked the bejeebers out of them. And we're looking, mostly, you know, 2015, 32,000 total elk were harvested yeah. compared to 2013, just two years before when just 20,000. So, I mean, that's a... 50% swing. Yeah, over. Yeah. Yeah, 20,000 to 32,000. Yeah. That's a yeah in two seasons. So it's not <laughs> right. like all of a sudden the elk population exploded and more people are successful. Right. It's right. weather yeah. pushes elk down as people are there for opening day of rifle season. And yeah, when when it's crazy like that, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so and you'll see that the mix of of harvest is. Yeah, it runs pretty close. 50% are bulls, 50% of that harvest number are cows. Some years it's more cows, some years it's more bulls, but it's it's quite a few elk getting taken. Yeah. Um, and then you see what the the big spikes here is in six-point or better bulls. That same year, 2015, when we had a lot of weather those big bulls come out of the high country and they're super vulnerable. Yep. Shot of that uh, that year was how many bulls were taken in 2015? It looks like 13,700 13, oh, yeah. 13, according to Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. And of that 13,700, 6,100 of them were six points or better. So almost 50% of the bulls shot in the state of Montana in 2015 were six points. Right. So we shot over 6,000 bulls, six-pointer better in 2015. The next year, 5,000. 1,000 less. And you look at down there like 2008, you're down at fourth under 4,000 six-point bulls shot. Yeah. In 2011, 4,200. 2013, 4,600. So you see these fluctuations, and in large part, it's related to, to weather. It's interesting that the two times I hunted Montana are at the low spikes of <laughs> shooting mature bulls. So. Well, that is also one of the things about hunting the year after a really hard winter is one, you lost some of those bulls due to winter kill. Yep. And the harvest was probably really high the year before. That means there's a few of them running yep. around out in the woods the next year. Yep. So, uh, but... Montana, if it's, you know, going back to that podcast we did about short, midterm, and long-term strategies, if you're willing to hunt uh, general tags, Montana is 80-some percent draw. You every can, year. Yeah, yeah you, four, you're four out of five years, you're going to hunt it. Yeah, you're, you're guaranteed every other year as a guarantee, but you could draw it five years in a row. Yeah. So for, uh, for people who are looking to go and hunt, Montana is a great option. Um, for people who are looking for undisturbed, kind of superb quality, like an Arizona hunt, you're not going to get to do that very often. Yeah. I'm the exception to that rule. 
<laughs> I, I don't know if you want to tell people how many times you've drawn a limited entry tag in Montana. Of course, you are a resident, so I am a it, resident. it changes the yeah. number of tags available and the draw odds. But so here, a, a little background of that: in 1999, I think it was Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks said, "Well, the legislature said you're going to establish a point system, put together a committee." establish a point system and come to us with your recommendations. So that might even been in 98. I don't know. But word got out that I was one of those crazy guys who applied in every state in the West. So I think at the time I'm 35 years old, maybe late 30s. No, I'm about 35, I think. Let me think about 20 that. years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... I'm on this committee and I'm the youngest person by about 20 years. Everybody else is an old gray haired fart. And I can say that now because I'm gray. <laughs> You're one gray of those. <laughs> and I, I, we, we were told, all right, come up with a system for moose, goat, and sheep and another system for deer, elk, and antelope. Okay. So we did. And over the course of that year of meeting and arguing with each other, one of the things that happened was I could see that this point system was really going to get stacked to the old folks. When I mean, the pie is only so many tags. Yep. And you tell the people who are on that committee, what do you like at the system? All these old folks are like, well, let's stack it to the people who've been, been here a long time or applying a long time. So I advocated a couple things that almost got me run out of town. <laughs> I advocated that half the tag should be random and only the other half should be part of the point systems because point systems are inherently put together to stack the deck in favor of the the people who've been hunting a long time and against those who are new to it. Yep. Whether it's, okay, they're just 12 years old and this is their first year they can apply or they're an adult who said, I'd like to get into hunting. So I wanted at least half the tags of all species kept out of the point. Oh, my goodness. I'm pretty sure they thought I was a Russian mole infiltrating <laughs> the committee or something. And then we had, we still have a seven-year wait for moose, goat, and sheep. And I said we should have a wait period for any elk tag that requires you know, where the draw odds are less than 20% each year or wh whatever it might be. That if, you draw, if you're lucky enough to draw one of those tags, you should have to sit on the sidelines for seven years. Or, and I said, well, maybe three years, maybe for five years, something. And those old farts said, well, then I would only get one more of these limited elk tags before <laughs> I got to hang it up. Yeah. It would be interesting to go back and talk to all of those who are in favor of the point system mm -hmm. and see how many tags they've drawn since implementing a point system of those quality tags. Yeah. Because probably none of them have drawn or maybe once. Right. And now they have no chance. Right. 
And so they all laughed at me. In fact, Charlie Decker, who is one of the founders of the Rocky Mountain Oak Foundation, he and I sit on that board, and he still remembers some of the fights we had. He, he'll bring <laughs> it up in front of So we'll have an RMEF board meeting, and he'll point over. He's like, don't trust Newberg there. He'll argue with you to the end of time. I've sat on committees with that guy. <laughs> and uh, he does it all out of great humor. He's a wonderful guy. But there's been times Charlie's confided you know, now that I'm, I think Charlie's up into, well into his 70s, he said, I, I now look at that preference bonus point thing that Montana has. I, I worry about these new and young hunters. Yeah. And if anyone gave me an open ear on those committees, it was Charlie. He'd listen. Uh, he was a fish and game commissioner in Montana for eight years i think so he he was accustomed to taking input and analyzing but there were some people who just were like heck with that no way yeah well this is the background to the irony of me drawing so many limited entry (laughs) bull elk tags in montana you were against it yeah i wanted to have me be put on a wait list so i drew the missouri breaks in 2004 and then I just kind of hemmed and hot. I didn't, really didn't have anything on my calendar. And I drew Southeast Montana rifle in 2009. And then I've drawn four Central Montana rifle out tags since 2009. <laughs> so since this point scheme, which I think is messed up in Montana, because now the legislature got a hold of it, and now we even square the bonus points, that was not part of we addressed that at the committee and we said no we are not going to square bonus points yeah. we're already stacking the deck hard enough so since then i've drawn six limited entry rifle bull elk tags and i think it's stupid that i should be able to draw six limited entry bull elk tags in montana since 2004 yep that that should but, not be allowed but are you going to boycott it and send a message no, that well, doesn't send a I message. Do? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm. That's the rule. I'm gonna yeah, play the game. Yeah, and shame on Montana for allowing that to happen. Yep. They should have a three or five year wait for guys like me who draw that tag because that clears those who have had a chance. And that, and that's the whole thing. People say it's not fair if I apply for ten years and don't draw a tag, and somebody comes in their first year and draws that tag. Right. Well, that is the definition of fair. Every yeah. year it's fair. It's yeah. equal opportunity. Right. And so that's their argument for it. But then if they draw that tag, they've got it. They should have to shuffle out yeah. and let some of these people who haven't drawn it come in and, and draw it. And that helps level it out. And it's just, it gets so confusing. We talked before about just a little bit about the point system. But once you go down that road, it has to continually change to be yeah. able to adapt because it is not a one-time, here's our scheme, right. we're going to run with this. Ten years down the road, it's a completely different ball game, and you have to adjust, and pretty soon you're adjusting yourself right. away from what you really set out to accomplish. Yeah, and so this committee, and, and I'm sure a lot of other states are similar, and right now there's a bill in Wyoming to put their residents on a, because right now the non-residents are on a point system in Wyoming, but residents aren't. And I would tell them, look at what happened in every other state. What you just said, what you think you're buying today ends up being something completely different in five years and 10 years. So Montana, here's the example. We put together this system that it first started out with uh, 
moose, goat, and sheep. And then they said, all right, it's working. Okay, let's make it for elk, deer, and antelope. Well, all about, I don't know, 10, 12 years later, the old guys are like, I need the deck. I still haven't drawn. Right. So let's square these points. Give me a better chance. Stupid. It it doesn't, the little bit of chance it gives somebody is so small who's, because there's so many of us at max points in that system for moose, goat, and sheep. But it just completely deters some new person Anybody from getting in. in. And that's, uh, and we'll get into it more when we talk about Idaho, but Idaho multiple times has been tasked with, let's get points. Yeah. And it comes from the legislature who is the one who drives everything. And they go back to the commission and say, we're going to implement a bill this year and we're going to get points. Yeah. And it's up to us as the citizens and the hunters to get a hold of everyone we can and let them know we're against this as right. as hunters and sportsmen. And I, I provided a whole report looking at these high-profile controlled hunts and showing what the draw odds are right now where everybody has an equal chance every year. And if we go to points, and there's also, you can square points, you can do 50-50 preference bonus, there's all these different. But if you just look at bonus points so that you get a weighted chance in the draw every year that you're in there, after 10 years in these hunts that are less than 20% draw odds, your chances go from... 1% 1% to 1.2%. Right. What? But somebody coming in in the 10th year and getting into it, their chances are now 0.005% and they never get up to 1%. No matter how long they're in it, they never get to that level. So are you willing to take a 0.2% increase in drawing this tag, which statistically in 100 years, you aren't any better off. Right. In order to penalize somebody who comes in as a new hunter in this point system and never has a chance of drawing that tag. It's just, I've argued and argued that, that yeah, if you want to do it in, in units that are 20% draws or better, it will clean people out. Right. And every four or five years you'll draw a tag and that will work. But you get into these, and that's what everybody wants. They want to draw the, you know, the Bennett mountain deer tag or the Owyhee elk tag that is a 1% draw odd hunt. Yeah. And they think by going to points within the next four or five years, they're going to be guaranteed to have it. No. It doesn't change your draw odds. No. And we've seen that in Montana. So not only did the legislature decide to square the points about four years ago, and I call this the gray-haired pissed-off club, uh, <laughs> and these bunch of pissed-off gray-haired guys show up at the legislature with even a better idea. No, oh, excellent. Let's change it again. Let's change it again, and let's, of these moose, goat, and sheep tags, Let's take a portion of them and put them in a separate draw for guys who are over 62. Oh. Yeah. Really? You're just going to pull these out of thin air? Are these extra moose, goat, and sheep that have been living <laughs> on the mountain that we didn't know about? Or are you saying we're going to steal these from you younger people? Yep. I was fit to be tied. I, I, I called all my legislators and representatives. Well, in seven years, you're probably going to be in that group. So you're probably right. waiting for them to get those yeah, tags, right? Yeah, when I turn 62, uh, I'll, I'll, re, I'll, I'll bring that bill back to the legislature. That yeah, was, we, we talk about discrimination when it comes to non-resident tag allocation. And, yeah. and there are mandates and lawsuits that have been fought already to right. establish it's not discrimination. Right. You start taking tags from somebody of a certain age and giving them somebody of another age, that's, that might get into discrimination. To me, that's problematic. And yeah. so my point of that is is to, to 
kind of further what you brought up is be careful about all these point schemes in every state. They're ever-changing. What you thought you bought today might not be what you are buying 5 or 10 or 20 years from now. And very seldom do these point rules or, or ideas change to benefit younger hunters. Or, yeah. <laughs> never, I've never seen one yet that said, let's, let's do this to benefit the younger hunters. Um, so, so I think it's important to, to explain most states or many states are, it's the legislature <laughs> who sets the laws. Right. Yep. And legislatures are, they're controlled by budget. Mm-hmm. And they look at something like a fish and game department and they say, this department is struggling financially. So we need to come up with a plan to make more money for them. Mm-hmm. And when you go into a point system, it generates Ooh. money because all of these people now are applying. You can charge them $6 or $10 or let's mm-hmm. even sell bonus points for every species in the state for $50 a piece. And look yeah. how many thousands of people are going to buy these points and generate all this revenue for us. Yeah. And so they force that. A lot of times it's forced upon the fishing game department and upon the sportsman, contrary to popular yep. desire, to generate revenue yep. and to benefit a handful of those who feel like it's not fair for them. Yep. And so it's not necessarily the fishing game department all the time. It's usually not sportsmen, at least not educated sportsmen, who get behind point systems because it really is a detriment to new hunting especially, and it doesn't improve for those of us who have been here a while. No, I I hope that New Mexico and Idaho can continue to be the last strongholds of sanity when it comes to point schemes. Look look at any state. Is there a single state where you can say the point system works and we love it? Yeah. The the only, you said something about that if there's more than 20% draw odds, it'll clean people through. I think there's a few places where you could say that, yeah, that's working okay. But if you have very few tags and tons of demand, point schemes are not going to solve that. The only thing that's going to solve that is putting more elk or more deer or more sheep or whatever on the mountain. Yep. Or a lot of people quit hunting which we don't want that either. Yep. So, to, the, yeah. So, and again, it goes back to these, most of these hard-to-draw hunts have big animals, trophy mm-hmm. animals. And lots of public land and, you yeah. And so I think it's, you know, important to make sure we're teaching that right perspective of what hunting is about. But yes, it's, I would love to shoot a monster bull elk every year. Oh, me too. Sign but me honestly, up. if a five-point bull comes bugling in my face, mm-hmm. I get excited, and that for me is hunting. Yeah. And I am happy shooting a five-point or a small six-point. Yeah, I might pass up a bull now and then. It's not because I'm trophy hunting. It's because I'm wanting to prolong that experience of being out there and not fill my tag right away. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think it's so important that we teach that younger generation. We all get, you know, start admiring the antler size. Oh. And we all want to put a, our tag on a big set of antlers, but... Mm-hmm. When that becomes what drives us and what drives us to get behind schemes, yeah, it's not going to benefit us and it's not going to benefit wildlife. No. So that was a, a tangent that started from <laughs> you uh, asking how many non 
or how many limited entry rifle elk tags, bull elk tags I've drawn in Montana. Yep. And I, I'm sorry that we have the strategy the way it is, but I'm up to three points again. No, I fully, my history says I'm due, man. Yeah. And then entitled yeah, to I talk day. to all these other people who are, they're at max points. And, but if you're applying for the elk horns or the bear's paw, uh, even at max points, your odds are really, really slim. Yeah. And, you know, I guess for some people, they, they kind of, Montana is their own little application strategy of, look, I got my general tag. I got a good hunt lined up for general. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy a raffle ticket. I'll swing for the fences yep. for one of these really, really crazy ones. Um, and, you know, if that works for them. As a non-resident, that's an expensive place to be rolling the dice. Yep. So, and again, if you're planning on going to Montana and you're putting in for that general license... Yeah. yeah, apply for the limited entry and you might draw a tag. And if you don't, your your main plan is still intact. Yeah. The other good part about Montana, and this gets back to the request and demand we have for people who want us to do more content related to cow elk hunting is a lot of our units uh, with your archery tag, you can it's either sex. Uh, and even those units you saw on that map that are over objective, uh, a lot of those have uh, opportunity to shoot cow elk on your general tag. So um, a lot of elk get uh, get taken in Montana. And Montana has, is it the second or third highest overall population of elk out of all the states? I think it's yep. Colorado, Oregon, and Montana are the top three. Yeah. And this, this chart here always causes people to shake their head. <laughs> so since 2010, uh, this is not counting... Uh, they haven't updated it for the 2017 and 18 entries to the record book, but for the 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, so seven years, the previous seven years, if you look at what are the top 10 states for Boone and Crockett typical elk, and I don't really By quantity. Care. By numbers. Yep. Montana is number one with 60 entries. So that's a 375 inch. Is that what Boone and Crockett? I, I don't know if is? they did the 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 awards book, which yeah. is 360 or 365. Yeah. Net. Uh, anyhow, that any of it. We're talking 365, 375, or bigger type yeah, bull elk. Net. Yeah, yeah, that's that's big. Yeah, that's really really big. Uh, Montana's got 60, Utah's got 48, Wyoming has 40, Colorado 37, Nevada 34, Arizona 31, New Mexico 17, Idaho 12, Washington State has 10. Yeah. I would not have expected that. Uh, Alberta has nine. So that's one that people look at and they're like, huh? And this is, I'm. Well, Washington has the Blues Mountains, some of those really controlled hunts where every year there's three or four bulls. Boone and Crockett caliber shot. Oh, okay. So that they're coming out of one or two units over there in the state that are highly controlled for quality. Uh, you look at something like, hey, if you go back to that list, what was interesting is we talk about New Mexico, Arizona, and Nevada, and possibly Utah as big bull states. Well, Arizona is number six. Yeah. Uh, Nevada is number five. Yeah. So... But again, it comes down to quantity. Right. If yeah, you look at the percentage of bulls <laughs> shot and the percentage of Boone and Crockett, that's when Arizona, Nevada, Utah uh, shine. Yep, top yeah. the chart. Yeah, and then the Go Hunt also has it by county. Uh, 
And you'll see central and eastern Montana has, uh, I mean, considering that they have lower elk populations, the numbers that they have are quite impressive. Um, You look at the breadbasket, I call it, of elk in Montana, uh, central and, uh, or they call it southwest Montana, but even some of the western parts of the state, uh, that's where the map really gets bright. Yep. But that's a there aren't many. There's almost no limited entry hunts there. But the just the number of elk and some of the terrain prohibits yeah. huge amounts of hunting pressure because of the terrain. So yeah. uh, that's that's always a little highlight though when people see it. But then you go to the non-typicals. Look at Arizona. What do they got going on yeah, down there? Something in the ground. You suppose they still have some of those Merriam's elk running around? It's been rumored. Yeah. So that's... But Montana is still tied for third for non-typical yeah. entries in the record book. So Yeah. And, and again, it comes down to if you're shooting 100 bull elk, there's a chance that one or two of them is going to be really big. Yeah. And if you go to Arizona and shoot 100 bull elk, there's a chance that more of those 100 are going to be bigger than... Montana or Idaho or some of the other states. So. Yeah. So then they have here listed how many bonus points going into the draw. So what do you have for bonus points? I think points? I have four. So four. I'm in a, you know, there's only mm. six or 700 people in the entire state with more bonus points than me. Yep. Re- non-resident. Non-residents. Yeah. yeah. Residents, there's about... <laughs> mm, Thousands. Six, five, six thousand with more points than you. Yeah. Hmm. So you have your, maybe for yeah. the audience, you're one of these guys right here. What can I do with three to four elk bonus points? Yeah. And you're looking at the Montana strategy article on Go Hunt. Yep. So, and it says with three to four po- points as resident or non resident, you'll see very few additional districts added to that which you could draw with zero to two points. I, that's Brady's polite way of saying you're a bit in no man's yep. land. Uh, <clears throat> so. But it does say non-residents will see a few more districts now available with 100% draw odds, which can be attractive right. use of your points. Right. And they'll primarily consist of archery-only seasons. Yeah, which is kind of your specialty, right? Yep. Okay. I don't know if it's my specialty, it's my addiction. All right. So, non-residents, if you're holding out for some of the top-tier districts, keep applying for these, play your odds, but you're probably not going to draw. Um, <laughs> <laughs> archery hunters, though, now it, it lists a series of archery tags that you'd have a really good chance at as a non-resident with three to four points. Um, and that's what I love about filtering on Go Hunt is I can go in there and say, I'm in Montana now, I'm looking at elk, I want... Maybe I don't even look at the harvest percentage, but yeah. I can just filter right down and say, I've got four points. What units am I 100% guaranteed to draw with four points? Yeah. And it'll show me on the map which ones, and I can go back and look at the map and see which ones have the high percentage of big bulls or are over objective, and I can filter it that way. So now I'm going to see what your draw odds are with four points as a non-resident. See this place up and here? Minimum draw odds, let's go to 100%. Let's do 90, 90 because okay. none will be 100. This is the, this unit here is where they say everything is call shy. Oh, really? Yeah. And I have a 91% chance of drawing it. Yeah. 
I got a hundred percent chance. There's actually, uh, I shouldn't say that. It's close to a hundred percent for me. Um, so, yeah, but it's cool to be able to look at this and see with ninety percent certainty. I'll draw a tag with four points. There are <clears throat> seven options there mm-hmm. between rifle and archery controlled hunts. But you have more than a ninety percent chance. Yeah, and as so. you look, it's listed out here. I can look and see. There are no applications in any of those with six or more points. No. So if I hold out for two more years, I'm guaranteed there. But then if we change this to six points, we go from three archery opportunities to four, and then rifle stays the same. So Well, you end up with a total three, four, of eight. So I go from six to eight by waiting till I have six points. And so that's, Mm -hmm. I think, what Brady's talking about, that three to four-point range in no man's land you've got to wait until you get eight or 10 points to really have a chance at some of these other units. Yeah. And by then point creep is going to catch up with you because with non-residents, you're, you're limited to 10% of these uh, limited entry tags. And in Montana, we have a ton of residents with very high point numbers. So there's many of these units. And when you get out at the high point numbers, uh, non-residents aren't even hitting the 10% cap yeah. because the, the residents are... And so you aren't tough. filtering through, you aren't, you aren't eliminating those people with higher points as a non-resident, which you're competing with. Yeah. And, yeah. So it, the point of that being, Corey, that if I had four points, I'd burn those suckers. <laughs> Again, it comes do down something. to calendar. I can't do it this year in archery season, so we're looking maybe next year. But then next year, I've also got Colorado and Arizona. And so it's just trying to time when I hunt where, and it's good to have options. Okay. So I'll just put this out there. Whatever year you decide you're going to burn those limited entry bonus points, is it safe to assume you're going to burn them on an archery permit? Yeah. Okay. Whatever year you decide to do that, we'll apply as a party and we'll, we'll go hunt. If we draw. We'll draw. Yeah. No, we won't apply as a party because I'd draw I'd bring you down then and as in the non resident pool you'd be screwed. So we'll apply separately. Would okay. it bring it if you apply as a resident, non resident, do they average points? I believe so. So if I have say six and you have zero, we go into the draw with three, three. points. Yeah, which would bring your odds way down. So what we'd be better off doing is in these units, because if we change this from non-resident to resident, you'll see my odds are crazy good with zero or one point. Um, resident. Elk. So that same unit with zero points, I have a 76% chance. Yeah. And... So we apply separately for the same hunt. Right. There's no sense in you bumping me from zero up to three because that puts me way, everyone above one point as a resident draws. So it'd be be a waste of your point. So what we'll do, we'll apply separately and we'll probably draw and we'll go. In that unit where the elk are call shy? Yeah. And we'll go there. Can't we go to a unit where the elk are no, big come and by on. the road and there's lots of access uh, there's and they none come of those. running in? There are, none of the, there are none of those in Montana. So <sighs> what we need to do is go and either confirm or dispel the myth 
that the elk <laughs> in this unit do not respond to calling. We've set ourselves up to fail. Yeah. So. Fun. I think we ought to do it. It's a plan. Okay. Uh, we're, ma- we're making plans to hunt every state. As we go through in these state breakdowns, uh-huh. we're making a plan to hunt together in every state. I know. That's not going to work. Oh, well, it's just going to take a long time. Long time. Yeah, you're expecting me to live a lot longer than I probably will. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, it's funny. I, I'm 54, and this is, I was born in 1964. So, wow, this year I'm going to turn 55. That's when you get your AARP membership, oh, I really? believe. And start getting discounts at restaurants. Yeah, my wife is three years older than me. She's She's already... She hates it. She's like, <laughs> every time she, you get an offer, she's never signed up. She just throws them in the mail. But anyhow, when I started my platforms, I was uh, 44. And I said, yeah, I'm an archery backpack, archery elk, or not archery, backpack elk hunt until I'm 65 if I'm lucky. I'm halfway to that mile marker. I'm like, hmm, that mile marker doesn't look that far away right now. <laughs> Because I can look back just those 10 or 11 years, and those don't seem that long ago. That's yeah. that's what I said is my goal for how long I was going to backpack. But now it doesn't look that far away, so you can extend it to 72 or 73. <sighs> there you go. Yep. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, I'm already thinking about calling it on backpack elk hunting, and I was going to stop you there and not let that happen. So no, I'm glad I'm... to hear you're extending that. <laughs> I haven't Time said frame. I'm extending it either. No, but I did. Okay. So you're going to, I'll carry a backpack. It's going to be a really little backpack. That's all right. I'm going to need a crew, a bigger crew. <laughs> Llamas. Right. You two are the Sherpas and you're the camera guy. Just shut up and let me shoot. Isn't that what llamas are for? Yeah. Oh, those llamas. Uh, have you used llamas? No. Oh my you gosh. You keep talking about it. Well, if you'd hunt with me some year, we'd bring llamas. Okay. It's, it is a game changer of the highest degree. How I, do they do in like three feet of snow? I shot a mule deer in Montana. The snow was up over our knees. Kept right on trucking. Excellent. I mean, I'm not going to set up my camp up at 9,000 feet and... 25 inches of snow so i don't need to worry about how well the llamas are gonna <laughs> survive up there because i'm not hanging out up there but well, i'm just thinking for packing out my elk in november when i come over and hunt with you oh they'll, they'll do just fine excellent trust me they packed out an elk uh we were in montana opening week of uh rifle season in late october uh the snow had mostly melted but we were up at over 9,000 feet, and then just they packed the camp. They packed, we had 12 of them. Bo, my buddy Bo. So, if, if you're looking at renting llamas, can I do a shameless plug? Absolutely. So, Bo Beatty from Idaho Falls. Bo is such a wonderful guy. He is just, he is a hunting machine. And he is the llama renting king. He, he has a new YouTube channel that we've been helping him with called Wilderness Ridge Trail Llamas. Uh, go out and subscribe. But uh, I would suggest if you want to hunt with and use llamas, and, and Bo told me, Randy, ever since you've been promoting our llamas, we're we're getting booked up immediately. <laughs> I said, well, that's the goal, right? Raise your price. So oh, yeah, if, but we don't have llamas for you to take now. I know, I but I've always got four of them. I said, Bo, if I'm gonna do all this, <laughs> I want I need to at least reserve four of them. So I kind of have a standing reservation for four llamas, and I. I tell Bo, you know, book me for here. And 
if I don't need them, rent them to somebody else. But uh, once the calendar kind of gets dialed in, I know these are the dates I need them. Yeah. Oh, we used them in the Wind River Range in Wyoming two years ago. And it was, if you've ever tried to hike seven miles in the Wind River Range, it's not the easiest terrain to hike seven miles if you're carrying a full camp. Well, we brought llamas. Game changer. <laughs> Marcus shot a bull opening morning, uh, and then the blizzard came. I mean, just torrential, terrible blizzard, and those llamas just packed everything up. Never complained. They purr and they kind of grunt a little bit, and they just walk along. They'd look at you like, man, am I having a good day today? And they don't spit on you? Or? No. They, they spit on each other. Do they? Oh, yeah. They they have their pecking order. <laughs> like this year, the, the four I had that I took to New Mexico, I had McShane and... Uh, Butch and Marcus and uh, who else? What was the other? Did we have Sully on that trip? Anyhow, McShane is the big old boy and Butch just is an instigator of the highest degree. <laughs> well, Butch would harass McShane by nipping at him and bumping into him. And McShane is smart. He's like, you wait till we get in that trailer, buddy, and you can't run away from me. When you pulled Butch out of the trailer, he had green spit uh, all <laughs> over him from McShane, just laying the pipe to him. Uh, so they're, they're fun, they're characters. But yeah, they, it will extend my backpack, my yeah. backcountry elk hunting for at least a decade very good I, I we could we should have Bo on the podcast and just do a whole podcast about llamas and because the funny part is Bo came from a family of horse people and i think his he said his dad or his grandfather was an, an outfitter and they, they brought people in on horses well now Bo becomes like the llama guy of the world. <laughs> and he, he says the horses still have their place and he, he knows a lot about them and he's good with them, but he just prefers llamas for their ease and flexibility and trailer them easier. These ones Bo has, he breeds them to be big old boys. They'll carry 90 pounds, 100, wow. 100 pounds on the way out. Uh, which one did we have loaded up with Bo's elk? When we took the panniers off, he had 110 pounds on for five hours. Um, so yeah, and I've always been a anti-horse guy. Just you know, we grew up with them. My dad was an outfitter and used horses, and they just always seemed to cause a rodeo. And I felt like I could walk in faster without any drama, hunt, and if yeah. I have to pack it out, I pack it out. And I've packed every elk out on my back. Yeah, and I've swore I always would, but. I don't know. I, th I think there's a level of intelligence that starts exponentially increasing <laughs> as you get older. It's not laziness. It's, you know what? My back is sore every day of the year now, not just for a week after hunting season. Yeah. And maybe I need to start looking for other methods of bringing 300 pounds out of the backcountry. Yeah, it would it would be well worth considering that. And and the beauty of, of renting llamas is... Uh, at least for Bo, he'll rent you a trailer and the llamas come with the tack, the saddles, the panniers, everything. Um, so you can ride them. They have saddles. Ah, uh, no. <laughs> uh, I would not suggest that. Um, it. But they're, they're a lot of fun. Now, let's make that a point that when you come to Montana elk hunting, we will have some llamas. It'll be fun. And I think once you use them, you'll be like me. You'll be calling Bo. Hey, can I reserve a couple llamas for the month of September? <laughs> so, well, I don't know if we've solved the Montana quandary. 
I think we've explained a very complicated system and hopefully yeah. in terms that anybody who, because it is, it's a great short-term option to draw yep. an elk tag. Yep. And it's not as, if you were just to go out blind and get on Montana's website and try to apply, yep. you'd probably be calling somebody who lives in Montana and saying, How, what in the world is going on? Which tag do I need? How yep. do I, I just want to come hunt with you. What do I do? And hopefully we've dispelled some of the confusion around that. Yeah. I hope so. The uh, the other thing is usually sometime May fifth through the tenth, uh, if there are any leftovers, they they go on sale first come first serve and they sell out. Those elk tags usually sell out really quickly, but then you get this kind of dribbling effect yeah. of people. They I say they, the tags dribble back in. People return their tags over the course of the summer, and so you can get on that list of the alternates or whatever they call it. And when people turn in the tag, you can be in the hat to get one of the return tags. Yeah, so and just a, a word of advice. If you were going to try to draw a leftover tag or pick up a purchase a leftover tag, get on there the day before, know exactly what yeah. hunt number, which license you need to get. If uh, you watch Destination Elk, Tommy, who was our hunt winner last year, mm -hmm. who came out and hunted with us this year, we ended up hunting Idaho because last year we uh, missed the deadline to apply for the Montana license, which is where okay. we planned on going. Okay. And then we lined him up to purchase a leftover one because there were leftover general elk licenses. And in his hurry to get on there and be the first one and everything, he accidentally purchased a general cow license oh. and ended up with a, a cow elk license instead of a bull license in Montana. <laughs> so just, you know, you're in a hurry. It's a first come, first serve and make sure that you're getting the right license. You know what you're buying. Yeah. And that goes back to the draw too. Make sure you're applying for the right one. Oh yeah. Every year somebody burns a huge amount of points on a cow tag. Yep. <laughs> Montana is terrible because it, some of them are dash 20, some of them are dash 50. And it's like, you better really pay attention. Yep. Okay? And when you get to the checkout at the end in Montana, it doesn't let you review your hunt codes. It just says purchase. Yeah. And before I hit that purchase button, I really like to be able to look at those hunt codes. Yeah. There's some states that when you click on it, it'll drop down and describe this is an antlered hunt for this date, right. this weapon, everything. But I don't think Montana gives you that luxury of no. reviewing. No. If they do, it's something new that I'm not aware of. But so, well, we're, uh, we've covered Montana, um, Rocky Mountain Elk foundation access project for this episode this one's going to be a little different it's called the morrison creek public access project and it's in wisconsin and i know some people are going to be like wisconsin why <laughs> well there's a lot of elk getting reintroduced back east and a huge amount of funding to the elk foundation comes from members who don't live in elk country yeah. so you now have elk if you look back east uh wisconsin uh michigan Pennsylvania, Virginia, West Virginia, Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas, and Missouri. Uh, and I'm probably missing one there. And huntable populations in a handful of those. Yeah. Uh, North Dakota, South Dakota. I yeah. believe they have elk, and I think North mm -hmm. Dakota has an elk season. Yeah, they both have elk seasons. Lim uh, open to residents only. Yep. Uh, Minnesota has a very, very small herd. I think they give away, and it varies a year, 10 to 20 uh, resident tags. 
So, but anyhow, this uh, project in uh, Wisconsin is a 360-acre private inn holding that was, one, it, it is great elk habitat, um, and, but two, it solved some access issues within a county forest back there. And our the, the RMEF Wisconsin members were really excited. They did a lot of fundraising to pull this off. And so it's nice to see that elk conservation and elk access is happening in places that I, as I was younger, I would have never dreamed that there'd be elk. Yeah. It's still hard places. to imagine an elk in Arkansas. Yeah. I mean, it, it just doesn't seem, but if there can be elk in Arkansas, yeah. imagine 20 years from now, how yeah. many states are going to have elk? There's yeah. going to be, you know, there's 25 states now, I think, that have elk. Yeah. And we're halfway there. Yeah. These elk don't necessarily know the boundaries. Nope. They, they don't stop and say, oh, I got to put on the brakes here. I, I can't uh, move on over to North Carolina. Yep. Uh, well, there's going to be, there already are a few elk that have taken from Kentucky Tennessee. and Tennessee yep. and moved to North Carolina. And uh, so I didn't even list them, but that's kind of what's happening in Virginia. West Virginia actually said, bring them here. Yep. We, don't, don't slow down, get them here. So it's, it's fun to watch. Um, there's challenges, but now with CWD is going to be a big challenge that these states have to face because uh, it's hard to find a herd of elk where you can certify that they are CWD safe. So uh, that'll be an interesting part as we expand elk uh, to other places. But point is, uh, RMEF is doing access work wherever elk live. Uh, and I think it's cool. Yep, absolutely. So, well, ready for the Sitka question? Sure. All right. So this one, since we talked about Montana, I think it's a, a fitting question, but it comes from Brian. And Brian says, how about some discussion on upcoming podcast for grizzly and wolf units or even areas next to the bear aware areas and how to proceed with camp, bear and wolf sign, and how to proceed chasing elk in these areas during archery and rifle seasons. Hmm. So he's coming from Michigan where they don't have to deal with predators and, and the effects of predators both on hunters and yeah and so prey. if he's coming from michigan and not worried about wolves and he's coming from southern michigan because <laughs> I, uh, any of the uh youpers would instantly say wait a second we're overrun with wolves over yeah. here so uh i'm pulling up the go hunt insider they have a map of where the growing grizzly concerns yeah and uh, in Montana, you just need to know that now anywhere in the state, there's a possibility yeah. of wolves. But yeah, they're gonna. The likelihood of wolves is definitely in the core of the elk country. I don't. I really don't let wolves uh, impact my hunting uh, or my. Con I don't concern have any, for I have the wolves and the human safety. Yeah, I'm on wolves. I have zero concern about that. I know. Yeah, a few years ago in Canada, some lady was jogging and wolves attacked and killed her. But that's so, so rare. Uh, I look at the risks I take in my life. That's, yeah. that's the, the risk of me having an injury or fatality as a result of that is way lower than many of the other things. I it's do not even life. on the top 100 list. So No. Uh -uh. Yeah, I, as far as concern for safety, wolves are not. They will alter the hunt. Yeah. And we can, you know, we've, we've talked about that and we can continue to, I think that would be a whole podcast. We could get into how to hunt elk in a wolf infested area. Yeah. 
uh, or how to find a new area to hunt because of <laughs> wolves in an area. But when it comes to grizzlies, you know, I've hunted Montana with you in that area that we were in fresh sign every day. We didn't see a grizzly bear. Right. And we've hunted heavy grizzly country in Wyoming yep. where we did see grizzlies. We saw five at one time on one hillside and it does change how you camp for sure. It changes oh, yeah. how you get about in the woods as well. Yeah, I I can't express enough about the importance if you're camping in grizzly country, keep a clean camp. There's so many videos and guidelines about how to do it and what you got to do. But that's probably your number one problem that's going to result in a grizzly conflict. Yeah. Yes, you read about the ones where somebody is there gutting and gilling their elk and those are tragic events and that definitely is a possibility. Uh, whenever I shoot an elk in grizzly country, that's when I'm, my head is on a swivel. Yeah. And it, it changes how I hunt a little bit in that I prefer not to be out there gutting and gilling a grizzly in the dark or not a grizzly, but an elk, <laughs> an elk in grizzly country in the dark. Uh, but sometimes you have to do it. It always causes me some consternation when I come back for the remaining quarters. Um, I always hang them someplace where I, I hope I could see from far enough distance if they were disturbed or if uh, a bear was on it. Um, I... I've done you just that. have to be smart. And I, I've got a story to share of a time I wasn't smart yeah. when it comes to grizzlies. And we put a trail camera on an elk carcass in grizzly country thinking, how cool would it be to see grizzlies come in and mm -hmm. clean up the carcass? And it was a great idea until the night we were picking up camp. And I realized, I still have that trail camera over on the carcass. We have to hike Ooh. in right about dark and get a camera. <sighs> no way. And it it turned into a situation that fortunately we were i mean we did it as smart as we could but doing it initially wasn't smart to begin with yeah um, we definitely took precautions did all that and had a an encounter with something coming out of the brush at us right before dark off of the carcass and i ended up discharging bear spray but fortunately it was just a vulture and Oh, really? Only my oh. hunting partners got the <laughs> brunt end of the bear spray in the face. But, um, you know, you just, you have to be smarter about how you do that. And I yeah. share that as an example of not a smart thing to do in grizzly mm -hmm. country. As cool as the idea was, and we did get grizzly bears on the trail camera, um, the risk of that, uh, it just puts you in a situation you don't need to be put into. Yeah. And I... I always preface this by saying someday if I'm a grizzly bear turd, uh, I understand if all of you want to say, see, told you so. Uh, but where you and I archery hunted, I went back in there rifle hunting this year. And two of the five days, we were walking in grizzly tracks. Yep. It's it just... They're there. It is what it is. And the one day, though, was pretty unnerving because it, it, it had snowed and it was blowing really hard and the tracks were uh, getting snowed in. Even our tracks were getting blown in really quickly. And we got into some timber where, okay, these tracks were made in the last 10 hours and it's a sow and three cubs. <laughs> And we'd been walking in on those tracks. And so the rest of that walk in, getting to our glassing spot, 
I was out in the lead and I was glassing everything, just making sure. Yep. And finally they disappeared after about a half mile, they disappeared. Uh, but it definitely adds an element that you just become more aware. Uh, you you got to think it through a little more, but there's a reason why we didn't see any elk hunters in there because they just don't want to have to deal with that headache. Yep. Um, and I'm willing to deal with that headache. And I know that my two encounters I've had in that area with grizzly bears, the bears ran the other way once we saw each other face to face. So I'm lucky from that aspect. But I'm sure if I keep hunting there long enough, I'm going to maybe have that encounter where someone says, I'm not running away, pal. Yeah. And I think, you know, you mentioned camp is, is the most important. I think there is a, a priority of ranking of where your concerns need to be when yeah. you're hunting in grizzly country. Yep. Number one is your camp. Yep. And every time we've hunted grizzly country, we've either stayed someplace where we were out of grizzly country, yep. meaning a hotel, a rented cabin, yep. um, something like that, or we've stayed in a state or federal designated campsite that has bare food boxes yep. that makes it easy for you to have a clean camp. Yep. And that kind of... It doesn't eliminate the concern, but it helps mitigate the concern. Yeah. And then next is, you know, walking up on a carcass. When you have the elk down, now you and the bear are competing for that same elk, and that's a, that's a concern. So making sure that if you do harvest an elk, you're taking the meat and hanging the quarters 200 yards away from the carcass so the bear can come and claim the carcass, you can still get your meat and not right. have a conflict. Yeah. Um, that's important. The other one, you know, we talk about is you're cow calling and hiking through the woods and bugling, yep. you're a dinner bell for a bear. <laughs> and you're doing all the things wrong. You're walking with the wind in your face so yep. the bear can't smell you. And yep. you're taking that bear by surprise. And so being a little more cautious as you're hunting and just setting up in areas where you can see maybe a little bit better, not setting up in a thicket where a bear can slip in on you thinking you're a calf elk. Yeah. and realize you're not a calf elk, but he doesn't like you because he's angry that day. And, <laughs> and then the last one is just those incidental, you know, a, a sow and cubs is always the, the, the wild, problem one. Yeah, that's the wild card. You just yep. never know. And uh, a lot of people ask me, well, I want to come to Montana. Can you tell me some areas to go? My very first question is, what's your comfort level with grizzlies or not grizzlies? Yep. And I get it if they don't like hunting Absolutely. where there are grizzlies. I completely understand that. Just understand that in Montana, I'm going to recommend the places that are not the places I hunt. And yep. some people say, well, that's not where you hunt. Well, <laughs> you're right. That's not where I hunt because I am stupid and I deal with this risk <laughs> or I accept this risk. Well, first um, of all, go back to the previous podcast where we talk about how sacred our hunting areas are. I'm not going to tell you where I hunt anyway. <laughs> Next in line, uh, yes, I'm yeah. not gonna. I'm gonna send you there. Yeah, but in Montana, Wyoming, and to some degree, even eastern Idaho, and maybe even way northern Idaho, it's yeah. it's definitely something you, you pay attention to. But I don't let it. I, I I think the presence of wolves impacts the behavior of elk way more than the presence of grizzly bears. Absolutely, that's my thought. I think the presence of wolves impacts human behavior and concerns. Almost to no degree, grizzly bears impact human behavior and concerns and hunting strategies to a high degree. So if you're going to hunt an area that has both grizzlies and wolves, now you have to be concerned about your safety <laughs> and you have to hunt a population of elk that is going to be much more difficult to hunt. Yeah. You realize that where I took you, we'd shot that wolf maybe 20 miles oh, from yeah. there. No, so, it's, we heard wolves howling that morning. Yeah. 
I think it was the first morning we were out there. And yeah. so we're hunting uh, heavily predated. <laughs> it's the same in Wyoming. Where we hunted in Wyoming, yeah. there was a pack of 21 wolves that the government helicopter, whatever, had come in and shot, I think, nine of them out of just prior to elk season. Wow. And so we're hunting heavy wolf area, heavy grizzly area. Yeah. And it, and you it, guys still filled a lot of tags. We've, we have on occasion, yes. Yeah. But it's so. also been tough on occasion. Yeah. But it's just an added element. Yeah, I get that people might say, I don't want to deal with it and I'm going to go hunt somewhere else. And that's fine. I'm just not willing to cross off that much of the premium elk habitat in yeah. Montana and Wyoming over those concerns. Yep. So, and that also, if I look at some of the limited entry units that have those uh, issues, uh, those actually have higher draw odds than the limited Absolutely. entry units that don't have any of those issues. So, yep. again, it's... I no, just, Brian, great question. And hopefully that, I mean, again, we could go into a full podcast on it, yeah. but hopefully that at least touches the surface and either eases some concerns or makes a decision that you're going to yeah. find a new area to hunt. Yeah. Well, I appreciate all these questions. We've got, when we did the fitness and we did all the Q&A stuff, we got a bunch of real qualified professionals who responded. Uh, Some athletic trainers for professional football teams, some doctors, some... We need to get some of those people on the podcast so that we can... I think as people start doing their training in the summer... We need to find a way whether we fly them in for a podcast or what, but we need to do some podcasts with those experts. So yep. it's not you and I talking because I'm just going to tell them, well, you know, go <laughs> I was going to say, go for when we hike. get into summer and people start doing their training, we, we need to be doing it now so they can be training now and actually be ready for elk season. <laughs> uh, it's tax season at my house, Corey. <laughs> I, I wish I could tell you that I'm going to get a lot of training in, but shoveling the snow and going for a hike here and there is about the extent of my wintertime training, which is not good, but it's my life. Yep. So it's what deal with what we're dealt. Uh, right now I need something that pays my bills. So I, I show up at the salt mine and disinherit the federal treasury every once in a while. Man, I wish you worked for me because I seem to keep the federal treasury in business. Really? Uh, I just, uh, well, being self-employed, it just feels like you get picked on. Yeah, maybe we'd need to do a podcast, a tax tax and financial planning podcast I, for the elk hunter. You know, and I've I've dabbled with the idea of doing some business type ones because I know there are a lot of other people out there like us that say, I love the outdoors. How can I make a living doing yeah. what I love? And I think yeah. there's some benefit there to, to discuss some of those opportunities that we've taken risks on and yeah. some that have failed. And How do you think the audience would respond to that? Do you think they'd care? Or yeah. would, it, would it be just an abstract concept or would it be, oh, that's kind of interesting? Yeah, I or, think we can relate it to elk hunting because I know my approach to business is very much like my approach to elk hunting. And want that bugle a lot? Bugle a lot and be aggressive. <laughs> 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 and if it's not working, pack up and move to the next oh. one. <laughs> Don't dwell on the, the areas that aren't producing. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, folks. Yep. Leave a comment, send us uh, an email through the website, go to elktalkpodcast.com and go to the contact forum and let us know if you've got questions, ideas, thoughts. If you hate a topic, if you love a topic, let us know and that'll help guide us to uh, future podcast topics. Yeah. And what's the Instagram page? Uh, Elk Talk Podcast. There you go, folks. Not just Elk Talk. That's a burrito wagon in Oregon or something, but... 
Yeah. Elk Talk Podcast on Instagram. Yeah. Thanks and for how, listening. How can they follow you? How can they follow me? Well, they can follow me in all kinds of places. I, I hope that they'll go to our YouTube channel, Randy Newberg Hunter. I hope that uh, they will possibly be on our Hunt Talk forum. I hope they'll watch our stuff on our Amazon channel, which is Fresh Tracks. And yeah, I, I'm I'm not big into the Facebook, Twitter. I have someone who does that for me for the most part. Yeah. I jump in there and my crew will do them. Uh, but Twitter is Randy Newberg Hunter. Facebook's Randy Newberg Hunter. Instagram's Randy Newberg Hunter. I see a trend with you. Yeah. Keep it simple. Yeah. So, <laughs> and you? Uh, Elk101.com is the main website where kind of everything comes back to that's our hub but then uh, elk 101 on youtube uh, and then if you are looking for information on improving your success as an elk hunter the university of elk hunting online course that is housed on elk 101 i think would be a, a great option and we've got a promo code of elk talk that'll save them 20 bucks when they sign up for the online course really yeah. so you even use the elk talk promo code in your platform absolutely really so it's yeah. a let's see right now uh, the elk talk po- uh promo code will save you 15 percent at rocky mountain hunting calls 20 percent at onyx maps and with uh go hunt you'll get 50 dollars of store credit and now you'll get a discount out at the university of elk hunting yeah and if we can find more things to give away for free or discounts we'll We'll, we'll slap it. the promo code on there, that as there well. There you go. I'm I'm a promo code pimp. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks we'll catch you on the next episode.